And here we go! This is the Ignite Rock Podcast and this is your host Ahmed Khalifa and I'm so excited that you're here because this is going to be a place where I talk to awesome individuals who are doing awesome stuff using WordPress. Welcome to the show everyone, I'm so excited that you're here and it's going to be a really good one today I promise you because I'm going to be talking to Andre Polgar who is an online entrepreneur with a passion for economics and he's also an author of a book about helping others who are making money online to manage their investment and financial security but it's so much more than that we are talking about a lot of stuff about being out there being found and using content to help you with that and of course using wordpress so so much fun talking to him show notes are available on ignitebox.com forward slash episode 17 in the meantime just sit back relax as i talk to andre polgar here we go everyone, this is going to be a really really cool, really exciting episode today with Andre Polgar and uh, it's going to be interesting because it's kind of a, a unique way of talking about online investment and of course about book publishing as well and uh, on top of it of course we're going to talk about WordPress so um, let's get started so Andre thank you very much for coming on to the show, definitely appreciate your time and everything and I guess we should start off with uh, just a little bit about yourself who you are, where you're from, and how did you get to where you are today? Okay, first of all, thanks for having me. And it's always difficult when people ask me what I do. I, I label myself as a doer of stuff on the internet. I think that's accurate enough because <laughs> I, I basically started when I was like really young. I taught myself uh, HTML when I was 12. Then I started doing some development. I ended up having one job, the only one I've ever had as a freelance article writer in English. Then I started my own article writing business. Then I, you know, ended up having customers moving on to other types of development as well. And then this led me to exploring all sorts of corners from the internet, from publishing, you know, blog posts on my, on my blog that I've been running for multiple years to running hosting businesses, to investing in domain names, to exploring cryptocurrencies as well. And, you know, Aside from all of that, I've always been passionate about economics. So one of these days I thought, okay, it makes sense, right, to take the kind of experience I have as an internet guy, as someone who, you know, ran all sorts of internet-related projects, and write the best book in the world because it's the only book in the world about it. It's basically the only book out there that teaches people who make money on the internet how to manage that money properly because, you know, like, for example, you have – I think it's easily in the millions, the number of people who make money online in one way or another. You have your freelancers. You have your entrepreneurs. You have your online business or whatever. You have Bitcoin investors. You have tons of people who do this. And, you know, one of these days it struck me that you have these people who are quite intelligent. I mean they're smart enough to make money online in the first place. They're brilliant at what they do, but they're frequently not exactly very good at keeping the money they make. And time and time again, you know, you, you sometimes read it on online, an article about some dude who ran a successful internet business and then lost all of his money. And strangely enough, it's, it's pretty common, maybe not to lose all of your money, but I've noticed that being pretty bad with your finances tends to be a common denominator among people who make money online. And I said, you know, it's, 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 it's a good idea to try to fill this void by leveraging my knowledge as an economist and my, if you will, street smarts as somebody who does stuff on the internet and kind of packaging it all together in a book that hopefully is going to help people like me get better with their finances. It's really, really cool how you got to that. I mean, he's 12 years old, learning about HTML. I mean, at 12 years old, I was just riding a bike in the street. So, I, I mean, I, it's amazing that you got into that. And then gradually, it's a journey of many, many, many different things into writing a book about wealth management. I mean, it wasn't, it doesn't sound like it's deliberate, was it? I mean, you were trying to explore, you're trying to test different things, and eventually you found something that you're passionate about, really. I just try to chase the stuff that makes me hungry. Like, for example, when I was finishing Wealth Management 2.0, there were some people who said, hey, look, you should come do an interview with me, promote your book, and it's going to be great. You're going to have some traffic. I'm going to have some. Okay, 
I, I was terrified. I was terrified of the fact that you know, me being from Romania, my written English is perfect. But I always had, you know, these uh, these insecurities about my accent, about my spoken English. So I was this was maybe two, two and a half years ago. I was terrified by the idea. I, I wanted to do it, but I was terrified. I thought people who are used to my good English and writing are going to be disappointed. It's just not going to be good enough and so on. And fast forward to today, I'm filming myself three times a week and putting it on the internet. So I, it's definitely not been deliberate, but it's just me basically chasing the stuff I like to do. Not so much money anymore. I mean, it's not it's not like I'm a multi-trillionaire. I'm not. But as of a certain point, and I've written about this in, in, in Wealth Management 2.0 as well, it's the returns are just no longer worth it. You know, so after you reach that certain phase at which you can say, okay, my family and I are financially secure enough, then chasing additional more and more and more and more money stops making that much sense. And I think it's just smarter to focus on, you know, you, you have Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It, mm-hmm. it makes sense to, to move one step uh you know closer to the top of that yeah it's um it's, it's kind of cool that you said you know, you're talking about you know english is not your first language and just just so the read um listeners can understand um where are you from originally i i'm from romania i still live in romania i'm, I'm in fact not even much of a traveler so you can pretty much always find me here <laughs> but I, I do I do kind of live on the internet as well. So the, I, I've been doing this for so long, even if I'm pretty young, but I've been doing this for so long that your English inevitably ends up becoming better, better, better. So I guess it's a, it comes with the profession. It's, it's impressive, Joe, because there's a lot of people, even, you know, if they learn another language, they would never think about writing a book in their second, third, whatever language as well. So it's pretty impressive that you wrote a whole book about economics and wealth management um in english so i think it's amazing so it's something that i can't do myself um so it's really really cool about that so wealth management 2.0 i mean uh, you know if anybody wants to see even the preview of it you can just go to amazon i'll put the links in the show note and you can look at the preview inside it and it's quite interesting that you know you you have covered quite a lot of things in general so just to give a brief idea of what it's about could you explain you know, who is it for? What is in that book? And how can it help you? I like to think of it as basically something that gives people a good dose of economic common sense. Because right from the beginning, I tried to make it clear to people that I'm not one of the economists you see on TV who says, okay, the next financial crisis is going to start next Tuesday at two o'clock. I don't know when it's going to start. And I think that's what separates me. I, I don't try to play a role. I don't try to give people what they want because nobody can do that. Economists, I believe, are not supposed to predict the future. We're not supposed to brand ourselves as gurus who know everything and, and, and stuff like that. Instead, something that I do and something I believe works compared to other economists is that I tend to embrace my incompetence. And not only do I embrace my incompetence, I make it a part of my strategy. And instead of telling people, hmm, I had a dream last night and I think we're going to have deflation in six months, I'm honest with them, unlike many of my peers, unfortunately, and I tell them, no, I have no idea. Maybe we're going to have deflation. Maybe we're going to have inflation. Maybe we're going to have a deflationary episode followed by inflation. I have no idea. Your guess is as good as mine. But here's what we're going to do. I'm going to write this book. And I'm going to basically guide you through what I think you need to know so that you can make your own plan. In my book, in my work, I stay away from one size fits all stuff. Like if you ask me, should you invest in real estate? I cannot give a one size fits all answer to anyone because if you live in the United States, in the United Kingdom, in a country with a good track record of preserving and protecting property rights, I'm going to say, sure, go for it. But what if you live in Egypt, for example, or in a country that's politically unstable, and then you're only maybe a regime change away from losing the property you thought you had? So I think it's important for people, and it's hard, and it's counterintuitive in a lot of ways because we're herd animals. We have this natural tendency to seek out a leader, to seek out the providential figure who knows everything, who has all of the answers. And it's pretty depressing when you have to tell people, you're on your own. There's no such thing. The best you can do, the best I can do for you is give you the tools you need and then 
puts you in the best possible position to do your own thing. So that's what I do in the book. I start by teaching people what the top mistakes are, the top financial mistakes that those who make money online and, and in some cases people in general tend to make. Then I move on to telling them what kind of an investment mindset they need to have. You know, the, the basic, the values you should have as investors, the way of thinking I would recommend in scenario one, two, three, and so on. Then I move on to explaining to people how they should interpret information, something few economists do. Like, for example, how to find the right balance between mainstream media sources and alternative media. And only finally in the in chapter number seven do I take assets one at a time and say, okay, let's talk about stocks. Let's talk about real estate. Let's talk about art. And and I, I do take advantage of my background compared to other economists to also talk about domain names, peer-to-peer lending, websites, cryptocurrencies. I, I think that's something uh, that helps me stand out as well. But that's only in the final chapter. I, I, I keep telling people that there are no shortcuts. You know, this is not an infomercial lose weight quickly, just buy my product. You don't even have to use it. Just buy it and you're going to lose weight. It, it doesn't work like that, you know. So it, it's – I, I don't I, I don't embrace kind of like a business model of telling people what they want to hear. I, I accept the fact that I'm going to make less money by taking people what I think they by telling people what I think they should know, Make even sense. if it's sometimes the exact opposite of what they want to hear. Yeah, I mean, it, it does make sense. Isn't it? At the end of the day, you said to yourself, it takes, you know, you have to invest time and effort into growing something. So an investment, you know, it's not a quick win. It's not a quick um, success kind of thing. You put your time and effort into growing something over time. And that is, you know, I guess that's a general idea of investment, whether it's investing in money or investing in your health and your body. It, you know, the idea is all the same, really. Exactly. At the same time, though, uh, I have a YouTube channel. It's called One Minute Economics. It, it, it's it's a channel that revolves 100% around the one minute concept. So it's definitely not 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 my intention to tell people, okay, as of this point, I want you to spend 20 hours a week learning economics because that's what you have to do. I'm, I don't want to be that guy. At the same time, things are going to happen to you. You make financial decisions even when you don't realize that you're making them. So it's not like you can ha- stick your head in the sand and, and, and somehow be immune to the effects of your financial decisions. So I try, to, I try to kind of find a balance with my book, with my channel of on the one hand, convincing people to think about this stuff because the average individual doesn't spend any time thinking about his finances, but at the same time, packaging everything and, and helping people do it in a way that doesn't overwhelm them, in the way that you know enables them to keep doing what they do. I, I don't want, I definitely don't, don't want economics to be the focal point of people's existence, not at all. I just want to convince them one minute at a, at a time, if, if possible, to just think about this stuff, to, to just dedicate a bit of energy to it, and just just by doing that, they're going to be in a much much better position than most people. And it's interesting that you talked about um, your YouTube channel because it is something that I was going to bring up as well. So um, for those who don't know, you've got YouTube channel on youtube.com forward slash one minute economics. And um, and this is where you teach people about economics in one minute um, as much as you can. So it's really, really interesting that, cause, you know, I like to talk about people who are creating content. You, you know, you're creating content in your books and your blog and, and your, on your YouTube as well. So... I'm curious to know, you know, what, what is your system when you create content, whether it's YouTube or a book or, I mean, they all have their own way of doing things, but do you have a system when you're creating content and how do you come up with, you know, ideas and, you know, and how do you create your videos? Could you share your system um, with us as well? I try my best to give people the best bang for their money with my book and the best time for their money and their time with my videos and that I'm a content creator. And as a content creator, the first thing I I try to understand is that people are bombarded with content nowadays. You have people who set their hair on fire. You have a gazillion cat videos. You have all of this stuff. And in what I do, I kind of try to separate myself from this way of providing content and instead help my viewers get accustomed to the idea that their time is valuable. So a lot of people initially on my channel said, oh, why don't you make your videos longer? I like them. I want to see longer videos. It's going to be great. But then that was at the beginning. Now when I have, I think, 90 animations and one year from now I'm going to have a lot more, people understand that 
it was a good idea to focus on the one minute concept because I really don't need more than a minute to explain a lot of these things. And I've had I've had people who have an economic background. I had people with MBAs, people who, you know, uh, have been through formal kind of sort of economic preparation. And, and, and they told me that they frequently learn more from my videos than they ended up remembering after a two, three hour lecture, partly because maybe they fell asleep as well. What I do works and it works. And I think it's something that other people should, should consider embracing as well. Because the problem with today's world, the, the problem with the internet today is the fact that, okay, it's awesome that people have this much information, but we're dealing with such an information overload that is just ridiculous. It's ridiculous and it's not sustainable. So, um, Content creators are, are, are in a bit of a predicament because we need a revolution in all of this. You have – just look at the media consumption behavior of the average person and it's depressing. How much time do people spend on the internet, on YouTube in particular? How much time do people spend just watching funny stuff and, and, and basically uh, procrastinating Compared to how much time people spend doing something useful, how much time people spend watching TED Talks or learning something on the internet and stuff like that. And it's depressing when you think about it or, or if you just follow a few people and, you know, stealth moodedly take a look at what they're doing, you're going to, you're going to come to the conclusion that the overwhelming amount of time we spend online is wasted time. So through my channel, and I think people from the education space need to do this stuff as well, we shouldn't just say, oh, it, 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 I think it's hypocritical to blame the person. Yeah, The person doesn't want to learn. The person wants to waste time. No, I think we should start by blaming ourselves because if you're able to share information in a way that's also entertaining and in a way that ultimately works, if you, t if you find this kind of a right balance, people are going to watch your content. I started this channel as a hobby. I, I never expected it to come here. It was definitely not planned at all. I thought, okay, I wasn't even a YouTube user. My wife loves YouTube. She follows a lot of people on YouTube. I don't. I, I, I still don't even know how a lot of this stuff works. I'm, I'm still completely incompetent at YouTube, and I'm a YouTuber. So yeah, but I thought, okay, maybe there's maybe there can be demand for someone who makes economics easy to understand. And I started publishing a video a month. I said, okay, let's see what happens. People liked it. Then this led to me publishing a video every two weeks. And fast forward to today, there's been, there's been so much demand and also support for what I do that I currently publish four videos weekly. And it's just crazy. This, this stuff has happened. And, and if you do things that work, you're going to gradually move away from, you know how it is when you start a project, when it seems that you're talking to yourself because you don't have an audience, you gradually move on to the point where I am right now. I'm in no way an internet celebrity or whatever, but I exist. I have a voice. If I say something, people are going to know the, the, the work I do influences people. It, it, it's out there. It works. I've had, I've had, um, it propagates. Like for example, I know that in at least one, uh, University in the United Kingdom, one of the professors who contacted me started using my stuff with her students. I j just today, uh, I got an email from um, someone from the Bank of England who are, I, I, it seems they're working on a new project, kind of like an educational thing. And they said, okay, if you're ever in London, let's get in touch. I like your work, stuff like that. So basically, the things I'm doing from Romania, from the middle of nowhere, just staying at home with my cats. These things are propagating all over the internet and all of a sudden you, you exist. So that's, that's basically my, that's basically what I try to do, uh, with the channel. I try to educate people in a way that's both entertaining, but also works. And, and I, I guess people are enjoying it. I guess it seems to be working because there's just one more thing I want to address. The stuff I love about YouTube is that there's also the community element of it all. Like initially, I only published animations. That's how I started. Again, I was always kind of insecure about my accent, about my ability to be entertaining and provide value in 
spoken English as well. So I said, okay, I'm just going to publish animations. I work with a voiceover guy from them. It's going to be great. But then as of a certain point, I started filming myself as well. I started answering people's questions. I, I started basically publishing content in formats which involve me filming myself. And initially it was terrifying because is the internet is the place where people tell you that you suck. So I was prepared for people to tell me that. But you know what's strange? That um, time passed and I eventually took a look at my previous 10 animations and then at my previous 10 film videos, this was at the beginning of me doing this. And I realized that the animations and the filmed videos have about the same number of likes, but the filmed videos had pretty much no dislikes. So the videos at which I thought I was the, the most incompetent person in the world, and I'll, I'm going to tell you a secret, I am, those ended up having fewer dislikes than the animations that I was, you know, a lot more confidence in. And this is because of the community element of YouTube, you know. It, it, it's it's uh, the tendency, especially with smaller communities like mine, that people have to support you. And I'm convinced 100% that, that, that the people who like my videos and who choose not to hit the dislike button, which is sometimes hard, I'm sure, they do it because they want to support what I do. They realize, and, and I'm, I'm honest with people, I tell them, I know the production value of my videos isn't perfect. I know my accent isn't yet perfect. I'm working on it. But people don't care. People support you. And, and that's, that's why I keep doing this, I guess. A, a big part of why I, I keep doing this, even if it's, it's, it's not the project that gives, me, that gives me personally the most money for my time invested, I keep doing it because I feel it makes a difference and, and I, feel, I feel that people are accepting what I do. Pretty, it, but that's pretty cool though because you're talking about – you said – you know, you're incompetent. I don't think so, but it's funny how that you label yourself as someone who is not good at X, Y, and Z. I'm not good at speaking. Oh, I've got this accent and I'm, I'm not, you know, as knowledgeable as other people and so on and so forth. But the thing is, it's really, really interesting that you said you got yourself out there, you put content out there. And if it wasn't for that, if it wasn't for you getting out there with your content, whether it's YouTube or, you know, your books, but we'll focus on YouTube for now. You know, these people are reaching out to you and using your, your videos, whether it's, the, you know, professor in university or Bank of England and so on and so forth. You know, if you hadn't created that YouTube video, that would never have happened. And, and it's something that, you know, you hear all the time that, you know, if you're not creating this content, then nobody can find you online. Nobody can see you. Nobody knows your expertise. And the fact that, you know, I think listeners should take note that you don't have to be perfect nobody's perfect in the beginning and you look at all internet celebrities quote uh, mark quotation mark is that at the beginning they were also kind of you know average but then they get better and better and at the same time even at the very beginning they really appreciate the content they're given it's raw it's real it's actionable it's genuine exactly. authentic you know all these things sometimes matters much more than having a polished perfect video hd quality and you have a background image and so on and so forth that's not what people you know necessarily aim for it's just about having that actionable tips and advice and education that you can consume the way you like it so you know it's a really good point that you said that I, I i think you hit the nail on the head with one of the words you use with authenticity by because i think people are thirsty for that because the average viewer is kind of sick and tired of watching people on the mainstream networks who are as you mentioned completely polished with perfect accents with a perfectly organized set and all that stuff but essentially they're just they're just delivering noise to you they're they're not delivering meaningful information in an authentic way. So kind of I think it's it's kind of awesome that YouTube enables people like myself, like other economists or other people who are knowledgeable in certain areas to just come online and give viewers an alternative to mainstream stuff. And I think I think if you're able to get your message across in an authentic manner, people are going to accept it and they're going to be more than, than generous when it comes to ignoring your shortcomings because you fill a void that exists. It definitely exists. There's so much noise. You have from Hollywood movies to financial networks on TV, you have all of this neatly packaged noise that people are, are, are starting to wake up to. And 
I'm fortunate to be able to, to to do this. You know, I'm just fortunate to be here. Even I, I'm, I'm sure one year from now, two years from now, I'm going to watch my videos and I'm going to cringe at how bad they were. But it doesn't matter because you're out there, you're doing this stuff. You're, you're no matter what you think about the production value. I tend to be a perfectionist, so so it, it, to me, it's excruciating when I know that the production value of my stuff, of my film videos, is not perfect. But at the same time, though. When I get emails and messages from people who say, oh, my God, I love your content. I, I, I sometimes search my channel on Google just to see what people say. And, and there are even people who list me as their favorite channels on YouTube. And, and this is just crazy. You know, this is what keeps me going. So thank you, Internet. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Internet. I mean, I can kind of relate to that as well. I mean, I, you know, me doing the podcast, you know, whether it's yourself or whoever, I'm sure after one or two years, just like you said, I'm going to cringe about how I'm doing this right now as I am speaking today. But I know that it will get better. And I know that if I keep going, the value will increase and it will the quality will increase and so on and so forth. So you should never give up. Whatever you're doing, whether it's podcast or blogging or videos, whatever you're doing, you should never give up at the beginning just because you think it's not good quality. You will get better. So that's definitely the main story. So oh, yeah. in, in, I mean, I guess then if you want to you know, round up that part about you know, creating content, what advice would you have for those who want to create the way that you create content, whether it's book publishing, blogging, YouTube, you know, what advice would you have for those who want to get started to do that and be consistent with it and create like, you know, high quality, actionable content like the way you do? First and foremost, you have to clearly define who you are i think because if you if you're interested in in publishing content but you cannot articulate to people just what exactly is special about your content and why your content deserves to be out there then you risk just being yet another drop of water in an ocean of noise and i i don't think people want that so right from the beginning i think it's impossible to meaningfully put content out there if you don't know yourself properly, people are awesome. People have all of these hidden talents that, that maybe they, a lot of those who are listening to us right now, maybe they haven't discovered them yet. Who knows? But people have them. And it's all a matter of finding out what you're capable of doing. Like, for example, something I'm good at is not picking sides. Like I can, I can pretty articulately and, and most importantly, uh, kind of objectively talk about the Republican Party now, then the Democrat Party. And, and, and I, I can do these things. I can talk about controversial topics in a non-inflammatory way. So that, that's one thing that, that I think I can provide value with. The other thing is I, I'm pretty good at making complicated stuff seem simple to understand. Like, okay, a lot of my animations are not about amazingly complicated things, but then again – through one-minute animations, I've explained fractional reserve banking, which is how our banking system works. I've explained the derivatives, which uh, to a significant degree caused the Great Recession. I, 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 do, I, I do this stuff pretty well in that people – again, even economic students, even, even people with economic backgrounds, they come to me and they say, oh my god, why didn't my economics professor tell me this? Because – I, I know this when researching for my own videos, like uh, if, I, if I see how others are explaining derivatives. Economists, perhaps even more so than other professions, they love sounding smart. They absolutely love it. So when you see how they explain and, and when you, you come across these, these definitions, you understand why there's so much thirst for content that simplifies it. Because essentially, even something as complex as derivatives is simple – to understand if you start from the basics, if you ha if you start by explaining to someone, okay, what if you're a farmer and you want to protect yourself against a bad crop? Maybe you're willing – I'm willing to sell you next year's crop at a price both of us agree at and that way I don't have – I don't care if I have a good year, if I have a bad year. I know for a fact that even if my crop is not going to be amazing, if I sell it to you now, I'm going to make profits and you're willing to speculate on the fact that maybe I'm going to have a good year or whatever and, and it's going to work out for both of us. If people start from these simple examples, from these simple, simple real life examples or with fractional reserve banking, 
I don't want to shove equations down people's throat, you know. Let's just start by assuming that Mike goes to the bank and deposits $1,000. The bank keeps, let's say, 10%, lends the other 900 to someone who then deposits it at another bank. The bank keeps 10%, lends some money to someone else. And these things are not complicated. These things, if you understand them properly, they're simple. And this is – Again, this is one of what I think is another selling point for me in that I focus more on explaining than on defining. So there we have it. In my case, I believe these are perhaps the two main selling points that I have. One, the ability to to talk about controversial stuff in a non-inflammatory and non-judgmental way. And two, the ability to make complicated stuff seem simple. What the talents of our listeners are, it's all up to them. You know, people, some people are good at drawing. Some people, who knows? The the bottom line is figuring out what you're good at and then just basically doing your thing, doing you. You have to, you're going to fail. I I honestly believe you're going to fail if you, if you don't make it clear right from the beginning why it is that your content deserves to be there. Because most of the content online, I, I don't think it deserves to be there. I agree. I think if uh, you said it in a, you know earlier, um, you know there's so much noise out there that um, to in order to stand out, it's just much more difficult, and you don't want to be that drop in the ocean. And and it's spot on. I agree with you right there. And I think it's you kind of um, really got it right as well when it comes to you know find out who you are, know exactly who you are, and what you want to say, and who do you want to target. These kind of thing. If you don't have these ironed out, then you're going to make it much much more difficult for you to stand out and it depends what you want to do with the content if you want to stand out fine then you're going to have to follow a few things but if you're doing it just for fun or you know privately then you can do whatever the hell you want so you know it totally makes yeah. sense so really really good points there and um i think a lot of your listeners can take value in that as well i think it's really really cool um so then you know if we're gonna divert you know eventually talk about wordpress and everything um you know it's something that you've been in, in the online industry quite a lot you've been experimenting with a lot of things and um and I'm, you use wordpress so i'm i'm curious to know how did you come across it in the first place and um you know what what was it like how you know what was your first experience like with it as well well, since since I was, you know, kind of sort of doing development stuff for quite a while, I was obviously familiar with WordPress. I played around with it. One of my favorite projects was uh, a blog that I recently sold, but uh, that I've been running for many, many, many years, a WordPress-powered blog. So I do kind of have a, a pretty awesome relationship with WordPress, and it, it kind of – WordPress is good, is, is good at doing the things I'm good at doing. Making complicated stuff simple. A lot of people, uh, especially from the offline world, they know me as the internet guy. So they come to me, yeah, I'm thinking about starting a website for my business and I'm going to hire a programmer to create a custom content management system for my business. And I'm like, why on earth would you do that? How much did he? Yeah, well, he said for 2000 bucks, he can do this and he can do what? And WordPress is so, so awesome at leveling the playing field and just enabling me to tell that guy, okay, 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 you don't need that. For your specific business, you can create an awesome website that everyone's going to like without with paying $0 for the CMS, with paying a, uh, a good designer a bit of money to tweak your header and so on and so forth. So yeah, l- let's forget about $2,000 and for what you need, you're better off, you know, Spend more money on marketing, spend more money on whatever you want. But the good thing is that, that, that WordPress is, is a huge, huge equalizer in, in, in the online world. It's perfect for most people's needs and it's freaking free. So yeah. yay for that. Yeah, I'm yay for that. I totally agree with that. And it's a good point. If, if someone says to me, like, you know, I want to have a custom CMS, I'm thinking, what is the point? You don't even bother. And um, even sometimes on a rare case, if you're, you know, a multi-million pound company, you know, a big corporate company and you want a custom CMS, even then I would question it, you know, for them because, you know, there's so many good, powerful ones out there. And, um, but you're right. If, you know, if it was some one person or a small team or a solopreneur or whatever, and they say, I want a custom website, custom CSS, custom this, this, this and that. You know, more often than not, you're going to overspend on things that you do not need at all. 
and you're right, get get that foundation, get use use WordPress and get your you know spend a bit of budget on the design, spend a bit of budget on technical tweaks here and there, and then invest the rest on pushing yourself out there as well. So I agree with you. I don't understand why people want custom CMS. They may have a, a specific reason, which is fair enough, but more often than not, I advise against that and I use even if it's not WordPress, I you know, I advise them to use another CMS out there online so it's definitely a good point definitely a good point with that as well um so i mean you know you, you could say to yourself like um people come to you for advice or you know you're the internet guy and whatever how do i start this website and whatever and i'm sure you heard and uh, a few times that people say you know what wordpress has this problem and this problem of course but you know what advice would you give to those who have um any trouble with using wordpress or even starting it you know, what advice would you give to those guys? Yeah, well, first and foremost, a lot of people complain about WordPress. And people say, oh, why are people complaining about WordPress? To which I just tell them to use basic logic because, of course, everyone complains about WordPress because everyone's using WordPress. And with it being so huge, with it having such a humongous user base, it's ridiculous. It's it's ridiculous how many problems you can solve with a simple Google search. Now, I'm going to tell you a secret from back when I owned uh, two shared hosting businesses. I had a few hundred customers, nothing major, but, you know, decent enough. I ended up selling them. So anyway, uh, I worked with a company that handled level one and level two stuff. So the simple, the basic things uh, like, oh, I lost my password or, oh, can you please move this or do that basic stuff? But when it came to complicated issues, I handled them myself. And I'm sometimes kind of like grandpa with technology, you know, like like a, this old dude who puts on his glasses and tries to carefully read a label and doesn't really know what he's doing. I'm frequently like that. And I owned two hosting services. And it's remarkable how often this specific thing happens. So uh, all of a sudden I notice that there's a problem with my server, something not working, so on, whatever. I Step one, panic. So I panic. Oh my God, the world's going to end. Number two, let me just Google it for a minute. Number three, oh, I fixed it. Yay. So that's... That's the advantage of WordPress, for example. When so people, so many people use WordPress, and, and when so, there's so much good information about it, it's very, 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 very likely that no matter what problem you have with WordPress, you're the 1,500,000th person who had that problem. And among the 1,500,000 people who had it, at least a handful shared what they did with the internet and you can just find that information online you can solve your problem with a quick google search without paying for anything without it's it's the one of the most awesome things that can happen to the internet having huge platforms like this open source stuff that that everyone use that can be the framework for all sorts of complicated stuff including of course maybe paid plugins or whatever fair enough but you have this powerful powerful framework that's free to use that's used by everyone and this makes your life so so easy even take it from someone who actually run ran two hosting services it's remarkable how how when you're dealing with widely used applications you reach the point when a few simple searches can turn for you from grandpa into an expert it's, it's remarkable i think it, it, uh, it's a good point because you know that, that is the big advantage of having such a massive user base i mean at the time of you know recording this with july 2017 and you know almost 30 percent of the world wide web is powered by wordpress i mean think about that you know, we're talking, you know, tens of millions uh, potentially anyway. And you're right. If you have a problem, you know, thousands, millions of other people had that problem and found a solution to it. And you could, a simple search would um, help you to solve it. And sometimes, yeah, you might need some special expertise to help you with the, the more technical side of things. And that's normal for any website, not just course, WordPress yeah. website. You know, just any website, you have to have some expertise. Um, but definitely it's a, a really good point that... You have a lot of people there who can help you. The community, which I'm involved in, is so, so wide, but it's so supportive as well. People share information with each other. So, you know, you can do it. You know, there's no, no fear about having your own uh, WordPress site as well. So it's definitely a good point. Good point in that. 
Um, so then, you know, let's let's uh, talk a bit more in terms of yourself. What is uh, your biggest strength? Well, you can tell just from looking at how much stuff I've been involved in that, as mentioned in the beginning, at the beginning, I'm a doer of things. And I think this is important. It's important to do stuff because most of the things I've done have not been successful. And I can interact and talk with lots of people who are also entrepreneurs who did their own thing. And again, it, it, you don't even have to be successful 50% of the time. You just have to be out there. You have to be doing stuff. You have to be learning. I've, for example, I started a, an auction platform for domain names, which was called Auction Puss. And it was an octopus with eight tentacles, and each tentacle was pointing to an auction. So I've I've done the craziest stuff on the internet. Like, like, but you do these things. You, you get better. You learn. You interact with people. You, you, this is what you have to do. You have to be a doer of things. And it's it's hard for me because uh, I am a bit of a perfectionist. You can tell in the fact that I'm not happy with my work, with the quality of my videos production wise, and so on. But I've developed the habit, which I think helped me tremendously, of moving beyond that and just doing it, knowing that it's not going to be perfect, knowing that there is a long way ahead until I can say that, okay, I consider myself 99% satisfied with what I'm doing, but you have to be out there. If you're out, if you're not out there, you're missing. And I talk with a lot of people who uh, email me or interact with me on Skype or whatever, and they tell me, okay, I have this idea. I have that idea. Oh my God, two years ago, I had this amazing, amazing, amazing idea. But I didn't do anything. And I think those examples are representative for most people because we all have good ideas. We, A lot of us have the drive to kind of sort of do our own thing, to try this, to try that. But most of us don't. And it's it's strange how the simplest things, when it comes to your business, when it comes to your wealth, those are the things that matter. So, so to draw a parallel with wealth management, for example, if you have John and Steve – Two people with identical jobs, with identical families in terms of size, incomes, the income of the spouse, and so on. Two identical families. But you can notice if you follow them throughout their entire lives that one of these families, when the parents are 60 years old, is financially secure with the people having enough money to send their kids to college to ensure a smooth retirement and so on, whereas the other family is still living paycheck to paycheck. So you wonder, you know, what exactly happened? These are identical families. And and, and the key is that more likely than not, the family that is now financially secure, it's not that they're smarter. It's not that they got lucky or whatever. It's just that they took the time to do. They took the time to think about money. In a few situations, our lives are frequently dictated by just a handful of, of right reactions when the time comes to make a decision. So deciding not to buy a fancy car and impress your friends, but rather to reinvest in your business. The decision not to get a huge mortgage that's going to cripple your family, but to maybe downsize and again, use that extra money uh, somewhere else. And the same principle is valid when doing your own things, when doing your own thing. It's not rocket science. You have to be out there. You have to be doing, you have to be trying. You just have to be in the game. I think that's that's the, the number one advice I would have to for people. And, and this time, it, it is pretty much universally valid advice. Just do, be a doer of things. Be a doer of things. I like that. I think you're right, Joe. I think you have to do it instead of talk about it all the time and just thinking about it. Just do it. Give it a shot. Try different things. You just never know what will come of it uh, in the short term and long term as well. So definitely agree with you in that. Um, so then, you know, let's twist it around then. What do you say is your biggest weakness? And how do you overcome it? I'd say my biggest weakness is perhaps the, the tendency I have to spread myself too thin. And uh, I mean, I'm honest with people. I I, um, I write books. I publish videos on YouTube. I do these things because they keep me hungry and it's because I love doing it. But at the same time, I have other projects that can make me a lot more money than this. So essentially, I, I find it, I still find it hard sometimes to reconcile my desire to make a difference, to help people, to, to make an impact with my desire to put food on the table. So 
I'd say my, my, my biggest weakness is the fact that I still have this tendency to do just too much stuff. And okay, on the one hand, it's, it's good to have this diversified experience and so on. But at the same time, um, you're not, you're not a robot. You have a finite amount of energy. You have a finite amount of time. And it's not the best idea in the world to spread yourself too thin, which is why as time passed, I sold a lot of stuff and I've made decisions that I'm prepared to live with. You know, I've said, okay, I think it's maybe time to refuse some projects which are good money makers, but take so much out of my own time. And I'm doing this knowing that the money is not going to be awesome at the beginning with what I do with books, with YouTube and so on. But it's something that I think it leaves a meaningful impact. And it's something that later on might very well pay dividends as well, but you have to make that decision. And, and this is, this is something I've struggled with, but eventually I'm, uh, I've gotten a bit better. It's really, really cool. Actually, really honest of you, you know, honest of you to share that as well. The fact that you spread yourself to a thing. And I think a lot of people are guilty of that. If you are like a, a magpie and you see a shiny thing and then you go toward it and you <laughs> want to experiment with it. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think uh, a lot of people are interested in, you know, and get curious. And uh, being curious is not a bad thing at all. But yes, you're right. At the same time, you have to look at your overall picture and think about what can you do and what you can't do. What are your priorities? What are you not your priorities? and balance it all up at the end of the day so uh it's kind of really cool that you know that you kind of shared with that so um i really like that really like that um so then you know if we're gonna round it all up just to uh kind of finish all things off what are you most proud about in your business and career the thing i'm most proud about is the fact that i've become better and better and better at making money by being myself. And, and, and it's, it's something that I, I think a lot of individuals struggle with because what I'm doing is, is a bit counterintuitive compared to what society wants you to, to do. Just take a look at your school systems, even, even people in the UK or the US and so on. Let's not even talk about Romania, my country, a former, you know, communist country. So essentially it's kind of like, it's, it's kind of like, Jump, closing your eyes and jumping off a cliff in, in terms of how risky it is to do your own thing because society wants us to play a certain role. Society wants us to be good consumers who get a job that they want us to get, who get the mortgage that they want us to, to apply for and then just consume, maybe buy a TV. Buy, come on, you have the iPhone. You only have the iPhone X minus one. You need the iPhone X. This is what society wants from us. And, and, the thing is, it's what society wants from us and what makes us happy are, are frequently completely different things. And what I, what I would say I'm most proud of is the fact that I had basically the courage to do the stuff I love. Like, for example, initially when my family was struggling financially, I, uh, I got into college, but I didn't go. I didn't go. I spent some time focusing on my businesses and only when I was a lot more financially secure did I say, okay, I love economics. I want to go the academic route as well. And there we have it. I then started college again from bachelor's degree to PhD. But I did this. It, it's a pretty peculiar story because I did it afterwards. I did it because I wanted to. I did it because I was happy. So with most of the stuff I've done in my life, I haven't, I haven't followed what we can consider the path that society draws for us. I've always kind of tried to be guided by my inner compass and do my thing, which is really, really risky. So glad that worked. So. <laughs> I mean, it's a good point though, isn't it? That people um, who are doing what we do in terms of putting yourself out there and doing something different, it's kind of going against the, the norm of the society and it's, it's a brave thing to do and uh, it's not something that uh, anyone should take away from you if that's what you do as well so uh, you know some people go to college university get a job perfectly fine if you're happy with exactly. that and you want to do that of course you know there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing that whatsoever if you don't want to do that that's also okay as well 
like for example, a lot of people who see me do my own stuff say, "Oh my God, you're it's, it's so amazingly awesome! I want to do it myself." To which I tell them that you have to make sure that this is the thing that would make you happy. Because for example, I'm kind of like in the limbo zone between being an extrovert and an ex- and an introvert. I'm not an introvert, so I do have this desire to reach out to people to communicate with people. But I but at the same time, I, I'm again I'm kind of in the middle there. Somebody who is a strong extrovert, however, would probably not be very happy doing what I do working from home. Some people love working in an office environment. They love the socialization that comes with it and stuff like that. So I I do tell people that they shouldn't drink the Kool-Aid because there are so many scams on the internet say just buy my book and you're going to make so much money and it's going to be so great. People have to know that what we're doing right now, it's not for everyone. And it's not that you're not good enough or or whatever. Maybe you don't even have the right personality for it and you're going to do it. You're going to invest so much time and you'll end up miserable. So it, it, it's a decision you have to make. It, it's certainly not all sunshine and rainbows on the internet for sure. Definitely not. And I think at the end of the day, only you know what works for you and what doesn't work for you. So investigate, find out what that is, and then you never know what you're going to um, find at the yep. end of that rainbow, if you like, at the end of that road. So it's um, all very, very good point. And, you know, I have to thank you again, because everything that we have talked about, everything that you have shared, so many interesting things, so many interesting insights, really good, you know, valuable stuff to learn from yourself as well. So really, really appreciate you giving your time and, um, you know, just sharing that wisdom with us. So if people want to find you and connect with you online, where is the best place to do that? Well, first of all, thanks again for having me. And, and those who want to reach out can find me on youtube.com slash one minute economics. You can go to the about section, which contains my email address. I try to reply to each email I receive. They can also find me on wealthmanagement2.com, which is the website of my book. It also has a contact section with a form where you can send me a message and I try to reply to all of those as well. So I'm looking forward to having them on my channel, perhaps as readers, and I, I really hope they they manage to extract value out of the stuff I've, I've, I've been sharing today. I'm sure they have, because I have anyway, so I'm sure the listeners will uh, have uh, taken some, a lot of information from you as well. So um, yeah, again, um, Andre, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, have an awesome day. And that is it. Wasn't a great show, everyone. Thank you, Andre, for coming on to the show. That was really, really good. Really enjoyed chatting to you. So many things to take away from this episode, and I'm sure you listeners will agree as well. But, you know, one of the main things that Andre pointed out is, you know, you have to be a doer. You have to be out there. You have to do something about, you know, your online business if you want to be out there. You know, you can't just sit around expecting people to come to you. If you're not doing something online, if you're not creating content online, you know, you're not really visible. You're, you're missing. You can't get anyone to find you if you're not being out there. So, you know, it's just really, really good to hear from Andre himself. He's overcome a lot of barriers about languages and things he's terrible at X, Y, and Z. But he's still getting out there and he's going to get better at it. And you know what? He's making a difference already. So make sure you do the same, listeners. Just do it. The show notes are available on ignitebox.com forward slash 17. And if I could just ask one favor, is if you can subscribe on my podcast, I'd really, really appreciate it on iTunes. So, let's rock with WordPress. <laughs>